You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. You know, on evenings like this, there are, there's a tendency to try to figure out what, what we're trying to accomplish or what, what's a measure of success for a night like this. And um, is, it, you know, the, is it the attendance? Is it the commitment cards? Is it like, or intangible things like how excited people are? Like, <laughs> but I want you guys to know that we accomplished everything we set out to do in the first hour that we were here. We worship God, and so we win. We've already, we're already successful. We came and we praised him. The moment that you opened up your heart to God from a place of gratefulness and adoration, that's what we came for tonight. And so thanks for coming and, and worshiping with me. Um, question, who has been part of this experiment of Upper Room Frisco from the beginning? That is awesome. Look at this. Hey, I want to honor you guys. Um, thank you so much for saying yes. Thank you to the Crowells for stewarding prophetic words that help. Yeah. <clears throat> that help birth this and inspire people to rally around what God is doing in Frisco. There's, there's so many of you guys who have simply said yes, which means that you've sacrificed uh, time and, and, and energy and money. Um, thank you to uh, Michelle and, and Jonathan Sidler. Are you guys still in here? They were in here. Jonathan's the one that opened the door. Hey, Jonathan. And there's, there's so many of you, and, and um, don't, uh, I'm not going to be able to remember, you know, all of you and, and what you've done, but I want to say something like that um, what you have done is a big deal. The way you've stewarded your heart, the way you've shown up to worship, the way you've shown up to serve, it's a really big deal. I, I, this might sound like a flippant statement, but your life matters. And I, I want to tell you why. <clears throat> this is why I think your life matters a whole lot and why your decisions matter a whole lot and why the way you worship and serve the Lord matters a whole lot. Um, Chris read from Psalm 89, uh, and one of, the, one of the verses in there said that, that Jesus' throne would be established for all generations. Did you know that Jesus sits on the throne of David? Did you all know that? It's in the book. You can trust me. You can Google it. You'll find it. Jesus doesn't sit on a throne called the throne of Jesus. Jesus sits on a throne called the throne of David, which means that David established something with his life that will endure for all of eternity. When we get to the crystal sea, when we have those moments in the next season of glory, <laughs> my daughter is spilling sweet tarts everywhere, awesome. When we get to the next <laughs> season with God, that realm of glory, and we're worshiping God maybe on the crystal sea surrounded by the, the 24 elders and the angels and the crowns being thrown down and the weird four living creatures, there's going to be a throne 
and you're going to see it, and Jesus will be on it, and it's the throne of David. Or how about this? When Jesus was weary, he sat down at a well. Whose well was it? Jacob's well. You guys know that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, Jacob started digging. One after another, he just started digging. Casey Hans over here thinking, that's not how you use a shovel, man. <laughs> When I I met Casey Hahn 15 years ago, I actually worked for him on his landscape crew, so I know how to use a shuffle now. (laughs) Digging ditches. Thank you, Jesus, for Casey Hahn. He helped me pay for um, the engagement ring that I put on Ashley's finger. I love you, man. Guys, there's there's crazy history in here, but let me get back to this. (laughs) Jacob spent his time digging a well, not knowing that him being faithful and diligent in that moment, hundreds of years in the future, the savior of the world would sit down and drink the water that he harvested from the earth. Your life matters. When Jesus was about to be betrayed and and go to the cross, a woman barged into the room, broke open uh, a box of perfume that was worth a year's wages. It was like her inheritance. A year's wages. She poured all of it onto Jesus. And of course, you guys know the story. (coughs) Mary gets rebuked in that moment, but Jesus says, leave her alone because what she's done is for my burial. And I tell you the truth, Wherever this gospel is told, what she did will also be told. By a show of hands, who's heard the story of Mary? Look at that. Guys, raise them again. Let's honor Mary and Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. She's in the great cloud of witnesses right now cheering us on, saying you can lay down your life in an even more extravagant way than I ever did. Jacob's up there saying, you can dig. You can build something with your life that will refresh the Lord for generations. He's saying, go further. See, David, Jacob, and Mary are already seeing the Lord face to face, and they've realized what we're all going to realize. It was all worth it. So Mary pours out her perfume. Whew. And Jesus is saying, leave her alone. Stop rebuking her. She's done this for my burial. So Jesus gets betrayed. I mean, hours later, he's uh, flogged. He's, you guys know he gets tortured. He's, He's put on that cross. Everybody's deserted him except for Mary, Mary, Mary. Three Marys. Isn't that awesome, Mary? (laughs) And John. And he's hanging there. 
in the greatest moment in human history, reconciling the world back to the heart of the Father. And everyone's deserted him. He's in the most extreme pain in the world. And he inhales. And he smells Mary's perfume. In the most lonely, painful moment in his life, he's being refreshed by the love of one of his dearest sisters. But Jesus said, she's done this for my burial, right? And so he's taken down off the cross, put in Joseph's tomb. He raises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. And in that moment, the disciples are standing there watching Jesus ascend into heaven. After he said, you know, see, I am flesh and bone. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bone. As you see, I have. Put your, you know, put your hand in the hole. He ate fish. He, he showed them that he is in his same physical body, and they watched him ascend through heaven. And some angels say, why are you standing there looking to, into heaven? He's going to come back the same way that he left. You guys ever smelled the fragrance of the Lord show up in a room? To this day, Jesus smells like Mary's worship. For all of eternity, the fragrance of the Lord is the perfume that Mary poured out on Jesus. Your life matters, guys. The way that you serve the Lord, the way that you lay down your life, it matters. For all of eternity, when the gospel of Jesus is told, what if you're part of the story from now on? Have you guys ever thought about that? Anybody else in here want to have a book written about how their love impacted the world other than me? I will unashamedly say that I, I want the world to be changed by the way that I love Jesus. Anybody else in here? Come on. <laughs> Chris said something last week that I thought was very accurate and very profound. He said, yeah, there are a lot of ways to, to buy a building. There's a lot of conventional wisdom. We just, we don't know if God wants us to do it that way. Which makes us a peculiar people, right? Larissa said the same thing, that we're a peculiar people. In other words, everybody in here, we have, we have conventional wisdom. We know how to get up in the morning, brush our teeth, get into routine, you know, do things to steward the gifts, do things that, to grow our businesses, do things to, to gain skill at life, to gain wisdom. We, we have conventional wisdom. But I want you guys to know that one of the greatest wisdoms is to let the Lord interrupt our daily routine with what seems like something completely out of conventional wisdom. He uses those moments to confound the wise. It reminded me of uh, this story in Judges 7 where Gideon is going to go into battle against the Midianites. Are you guys familiar with this story? Gideon has 32,000 warriors. The Midianites are 135,000 strong. Conventional wisdom 
would say, okay, we're gonna need a really good strategy and we're gonna need every man fighting at his best. We're gonna need to volley arrows from here. We're gonna need to attack from around here. We're gonna need to fight from on top of a mountain so that we can come down on so that they're working their way up. You guys know like conventional wisdom says, you better have a good battle plan if you're already outnumbered five to one or four to one, whatever it is, math. <clears throat> But God says to Gideon, you have too many. This is in verse two. It says, you have too many for me to deliver the Midianites into your hand. And Gideon's like, I thought I was bad at math, but apparently Yahweh. <laughs> and you guys know, probably know some of the story that the Lord says basically needs to whittle it down. And, and God says to Gideon, Go ahead and send home anyone who trembles with fear. In other words, like, it's not one of those, hey, if you're afraid, buck up and do the thing. It's, hey, if you're afraid, go ahead and go home. And everyone's like, for real, though? They're like, okay. I was trembling with fear, and I'm out. And so now that from 32,000, now they're down to 10,000 soldiers who were not trembling with fear. And God's like, still too many. 10,000 versus 135,000, still too many. And, and then God says, you know, go down to the, to the water, and the ones that basically bring water up to their face with their hands, they're going to be allowed to stay, but the ones that just, you know, put their face down in the water, you can send them home. <clears throat> and so they do it, and there's, <laughs> there's only 300 that bring water up to their face. The rest of them, you know, put their, their face down in the river or whatever. And I'm sure Gideon in that moment was like, why didn't you bring water up to your face? 300. He's down to 300 against 135,000. So now Gideon, if he's doing numbers in his head, he knows that each Israelite is going to have to kill 450 Midians. They're outnumbered one to 450. And now, once they're down to 300, God gives the strategy, right? And the Lord says to him, at night, go and surround the Midianite camp and bring uh, some jars, some torches, and some trumpets. Jars, torches, and trumpets. <laughs> and once you're up there, I want you guys to break the jars, bring out the lit torches, and shout really loudly, blow the trumpets. And uh, Gideon is thinking, um, this battle plan, God is missing a few things. Shields, <laughs> swords, <laughs> and arrows, you're sending us into battle with shouts, jars, and torches. Like, did you want to throw some tambourines in there too, God? Like, <laughs> and, and you all know the story. They, they, they break the jars, the torches are lit, they shout out loud, and the Midianites are terrified and basically defeat one another, and, and they pursue them. And, and um, it's a really, really cool story. But I want you guys to know that after that battle, the army probably went back to basic training. 
They probably went back to practicing their archery and swinging their swords and using their shields because God is in that too. The day in, day out wisdom of God. See, the, the Bible is filled with these amazing moments of God doing like extraordinary things. Um, and, and there's these awesome stories, but hidden in here also is the wisdom of being steady. The day in, day out wisdom of God. But God interrupts those moments. You know that there's two words for time in scripture, right? There's chronos and kairos. And chronos, chronos is where we get chronology. It's the seconds, minutes, hours, days, years, anything that is like a measured time. But kairos is a defining moment. It's these Times when God breaks in on the normal, on the mundane, on the day in, day out. And, it, and it's this amazing moment where God is usually doing something awesome. And it's also an invitation. Because God isn't just breaking in and doing something awesome. He's breaking in and saying, do this small thing and I'm going to do this big thing. And so these small acts of obedience can release a big move of God. I love how God said in verse two, um, in Judges seven, he said, you have too many for me. In other words, he's saying, I want the whole world to know the only way this would have worked out is because of Yahweh. It's because you guys are submitted to me. You know, if, if the Israelites went into battle with their 32,000, and they just fought their, their hearts out and had a great strategy. It would have been an awesome win, but it probably wouldn't have made it into the Bible. And the people around in the surrounding nations might be saying something like, those are Israelites, they're good. They're good warriors. But 300? 300 against 135,000. The whole world knew in that moment that Yahweh is a powerful God. See, Ashley and I, we, we like to live our life in conventional, growing wisdom, the day in, day out, steady, the slow life where we're, we're, we're reading books and getting better at this and better at that and stewarding the gifts that God's given us. But at the heart of what, how Ashley and I live our life is we, we have an understanding that God can interrupt that and tell us to do something that defies everyone's definition of conventional wisdom. Anybody else in here feel like that's how you live your life? Yeah, you're growing in your gifting. You're, you're working the system. You're, you're growing in wisdom. You're waking up. You're doing your quiet times. You're... you're, you're saving money, you're socking away money for retirement, but there are these moments when God like breaks in and says, okay, I'm gonna tell you to do something that is really crazy, but just trust me. How many of us are living our lives in a way where people have to say, only God is behind that? Only God is behind that. It reminds me of uh, 1 Corinthians 1.26. 
Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That's us. That's all of us. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Essentially, God is saying through Paul in this moment, I chose... I chose a bunch of riffraffs to go and do something amazing. You guys weren't educated. There's another verse I, I love where um, uh, it, it's talking of the apostles and the, the leaders are saying, uh, when we saw basically that you were uneducated and confident, we knew that you had to have been one of Jesus's. You're uneducated and you're confident. <laughs> that means you're one of Jesus's. Awesome. Um, but God chose the foolish, foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. How many of us are living our lives in a way where people are saying God is making that happen? Those wild risks that those people are taking how is it working out for them? I want people to be befuddled, like baffled at my life when they see this is a guy with no degree <laughs> doing these amazing things and he's prospering. I don't want it to, to, to be these normal things that, that, that don't make it into history books. You guys understand? Are you guys picking up what I'm spilling? I want our lives to be lived in such a way where people are thinking there's no one else that that would have worked out for. See, um, Ashley and I, were, we reached this season. We have four kids. We reached this season this last summer where we realized, like, our kids are old enough to have conversations with. We took them out to laser tag like, all swim on their own. Like, we, there's no more diapers. Diapers is this faint, nightmarish memory. Like, way, <laughs> way back there. Like, I've been, I've been through Sozo. The trauma is gone from having three kids in diapers for five years. <laughs> I mean, do the math. Amazon Prime loves us. There's so many diapers that show up in my house over the last five years. But... We, we reached this phase where like, we were out of all of that baby craziness and we reached a new place where we were having fun with our kids. And, and the Lord interrupted and gave me a dream where I was holding a baby boy. An angel actually handed me this baby boy. And I looked at the angel and I said, whose baby is this? And the angel said, Whose do you think he is? He looks just like you. He's a cheeky little angel. And I'm in love with this baby boy that I'm holding in my dream. So much so, I'm, I'm yelling for Ashley. You gotta see this, Ash Ashley. And I wake up and I'm crying into my pillow because I've fallen in love with this child in my arms. Now, guys, Ashley and I were done with kids. Conventional wisdom says, man, start saving your money. You have three daughters. That's a lot of weddings. <laughs> Conventional wisdom says, Ashley is an advanced maternal age. <laughs> she would kill me if she found out I said that to y'all. <laughs> She's 35. The doctor's like, you're advanced maternal age. You're going to need more check-ins. She's like, what? I'm like, <laughs> 
I have this dream, though. And we have this prophetic word from over 10 years ago that we would have a Judah and then a Shiloh. And in the dream, I'm holding Shiloh. And so I tell Ashley, that I actually wait like 48 hours because I know what it means. I tell Ashley the dream and I start crying again just because it's so emotionally charged. And um, we just had one of those you know, marriage conversations that you have, like, but I thought we were done. I know, I thought we were done too, but I can't excuse this dream. What are we going to do? Well, five weeks later, we were pregnant. <laughs> and um, Ashley got to the phase where we got to see that it is a boy. And so um, my dream from the Lord is manifesting. See, he interrupted my life. I was on Kronos time. I was living out my days, my weeks, my months, and I was planning for 10 years from now. I was planning for 20 years from now. I was planning for, you know, how to make things work. But God interrupted my Kronos time with a Kairos moment and said, do you want this or not? I'm inviting you to take one of the biggest risks of your life. Guys, this is a, Krono, this is a Kairos moment that we're in right now. See, uh, Upper Room Frisco, we've been faithfully stewarding what God has given us. We actually bring in twice the amount of money that we need to operate on a monthly basis, but getting into a building like this is yet another huge faith step that God is inviting us into. And I think that we are people who know what time it is. It's not just the day in, day out kind of moment. It's the moment where we realize God is inviting us into taking a risk that defies conventional wisdom. Amen? See, when Moses stepped up to the burning bush, you know that was a normal bush. And the ground around it was normal earth. He maybe has even walked by on that ground and seen that bush before, but this time when he turned aside and saw what was going on, he realized it was a burning bush that was not being consumed, and a voice came from the bush and said, take off your shoes for the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. Guys, I want you to understand that this is normal earth, and this is a normal building, but God is here, and he's saying, he's asking us to do something different. We have to know what mo the moments it is when we're called to take off our shoes because it's a holy moment. This is one of those moments where God is inviting us in to take a risk and build something in Frisco that is going to minister to his heart for all generations. Are you guys with me in this? You know, the last thing that I want to leave you with is... Um, um, the Lord told me when I was praying about, like, how are we going to do this thing? He just showed me the, the boy that showed up to the Jesus convention with the sack lunch. You know, Jesus threw, like, a multi-day conference with thousands of people and didn't plan for food. That wasn't good planning on Jesus' part, was it? He wasn't a logistical master in that moment, was he? So he had at least 5,000 people who had like walked a long distance out into the middle of nowhere to hear him. And you know, the conference is over and he's saying it's time to send him home. But then they realize, no, they can't go home. They're gonna faint because none of them have been fed. And Jesus is like, well, what kind of bread you know, do we have? And a boy steps forward with five small barley loaves. So he's got a couple dinner rolls, five dinner rolls. And it says two small fish. The Bible is explicit in saying small both times. 
In other words, this isn't a lot of food. He's got uh, five tiny buns, and he's got two tiny fish. And in that moment, when that boy brought what only he could bring, God stepped in and brought what only God could bring. This is one of those times, guys, where the Lord is saying, if you just bring what only you can bring, I'm going to release something. And it's this incredible supernatural moment, even after everybody was fed, they gathered up the remainder so none would be wasted, and there were 12 basketfuls of food that had just multiplied out of nowhere. Have you guys ever just wanted to like actually see how that worked? Like Jesus blesses the food, hands a small amount to each one of the apostles and says, okay, go feed everyone. And the apostles are like, for real though? Like, <laughs> they're real hungry. Like, <laughs> and so they're like, okay, here you go, here you go. Did it multiply in the apostles' hands? Or was it like Lambus bread, the elven bread, where like they take one bite and it fills a man's tummy? I just showed you my, my nerd colors, by the way. I, and, and like how long did it take the apostles to start to have fun with it and get confident and realize the bread and fish weren't running out and they're like throwing it to people? You get bread. You get some loaves. Like where is all of this food coming from? I want you guys to know that this is what the Lord is saying. If you do what you can do, he's going to do what only he can do. Okay? So I'm going to back up Chris on you know, what Chris said. All you got to do is pray and ask the Lord what he wants you to give. You can put it on that card, and it's going to give us an understanding of how God is going to pull this off. Okay? Um, and I, and I want to tell you something. Ashley and I have had uh, more financial miracles in our life than I can even remember. It's gotten so crazy that I lose track of the ones that are like less than five to ten thousand dollar type type miracles. But these are our stories. I mean, one time I had forty two dollars left in my bank account, and the Lord said, "Give that away to a stranger." And just tell them this is because God loves you and don't even let them know who you are. So I walked up and gave my last $42 <clears throat> away to a stranger. And the Lord said, I'm gonna multiply it by a thousand. So I called Ashley. We had one child at the time. We had a mortgage that hadn't been paid and I didn't even have gas money to get home. And I said, the Lord just told me to give away our last $42 and he's gonna multiply it by a thousand. She was not in faith in the moment. <laughs> That year, $42,000 of anonymous, given, anonymous, anonymous giving was given into our ministry. 42, when we did our taxes, it was $42,000. We don't know where that money came from. Is that not cool? He multiplied it by 1,000. But that was what God told me to do. So now what I need you to do is go before the Lord and ask him, what would you have me do? God, I believe that our small acts of obedience is going to release a big move of God. You guys want to stand with me and pray?